the reality with AI is the genie is out of the bottle. And um, whichever way you look at interesting actors, whether they be Chinese or uh, Russian, or for that matter, American, you will see uh, you know, people using this technology for nefarious means as well as for good. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. One of the current topics they talk, we listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper? Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. My guest today is a seasoned executive C-suite with nearly 35 years in multinational blue chip corporations. He's a leading global specialist in technology, innovation and organisational growth, leveraging data analytics, artificial intelligence and data capabilities to transform businesses and create new products and services. This is the new series on his talk, but before we get into that, here's a brief message. Axia OneCloud provides secure, geo-redundant backup capabilities enhanced with cybersecurity. It is the world's only cloud-integrating cyber protection with Atlassian products. Trusted to accelerate digital transformation by the best organizations around the globe, you can secure your data confidently with protection of more than 20 workload types. Discover what backup and data protection capabilities you gain with the Axia One Cyber Protect Cloud. Harness the power of one solution, one agent and one console. It delivers the comprehensive cyber protection you seek. Laxio operates over 20 cyber secure data centers across the globe. For more information, contact us at www.axio.com. Heads Talk Podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle Schwitter. Eddie Short is an executive director, private equity operating partner, board advisor, and a former Big Four partner. A global leader in digital data and AI powered business transformation with proven track record to drive growth, risk and cost outcomes. He has pioneered and led application and digital data analytics and AI for bottom and top line growth, built new digital and data products and services in telecommunications, financial services, FMCG and private equity. Designed, led and delivered on a global scale, transformation programs up to $1 billion and across 50 countries. He also uniquely brings the connection between data, AI and value with a focus on people, creating cross-disciplinary and cross-cultural teams, driving growth and transformation across Europe, Asia and North America with profit and loss responsibility greater than $100 million. Eddie is partway through a doctoral programme, bringing his business experience and academic research to understand how businesses can deliver sustained and sustainable performance through data, analytics and AI. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Eddie back to Head Talk. Delighted to have you here today. Delighted to be here, Elaine. Yes, that's... Uh, that's... I know. It's Thanks a, for joining me um, again. Okay. Listeners probably would know Eddie from a previous series, which I will put in Eddie's um, show notes so that they can go back to that and do perhaps do an interesting comparison with the information that was given then to now. OK, um, I'd like to start with a constant theme on Heads Talk, which is looking and 
analyzing the roles of the various old and new C-suites in the in the board in the boardroom. Um, let's briefly break down the roles of the data chiefs, as they were, you know, the chief data officer, the chief data analytics officer. I think they're both probably they're both the same. The chief data analytics and AI officer. I've seen these titles all over LinkedIn um, or various forms and variations of them. How have they developed more, especially in the recent um, times with the advent of generative AI? No, it's a, it's a, it's a very good question. And I think, um, to be fair, the, the, the role was originally chief data officer, which I would have said was largely a sort of uh, part of the uh, IT leadership team in many mm -hmm. organizations. And it was mm -hmm. somebody who was the custodian of data Mm -hmm. uh, particularly in banks and large organizations around their sort of governance, management, consent of data. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, it was always uh, data and analytics were like yin and yang because yeah. uh, you are using data and actually drive value of it through analytics, which can then uh, give you better insight to improve your decisioning in, in your business. And actually data is the fuel of many businesses, which uh, I think has often been lost in the, in, in translation, whereas the, yeah, so the original CDO was very much a governance, compliance, management role. Then you had this kind of CDAO who was basically trying to drive, you know, yeah. um, you'd say defensively manage the data from regulatory compliance and control perspectives, but then exploit that to drive uh, advantage. And then um, as we've seen in the last few years, AI mm. has become very hot topic, particularly in the last 18 months with this uh, chat GPT and, uh, yeah. and uh, GPT from OpenAI, but yeah, with Google and others offering similar so-called large language models, you then have this per emergence of uh, people who call themselves the chief, chief AI officer. And mm. it kind of, yeah, it kind of how many chiefs do you actually need uh, <laughs> is, 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 is a good question. And I think if you looked at... Um, banks and some other organizations many of these roles as i said fall under a cio or cto mm -hmm. type role or a chief digital officer or in the banks often a chief operating top operations officer and um, i think um as i see these things now the the the, the evolution or revolution needs to come is i call it data and ai is the uh, ring to rule them all Mm -hmm. And actually other things, data, the reason digital has failed in many organizations is because of poor data usage. AI, I think in particular is interesting because what, what we see is, you know, we spent many decades talking about aligning technology and data to business strategy. But I think increasingly what CEOs are seeing is that the disruptive nature of AI might mean that their business might not exist in five to 10 years. And actually it's no longer a case of aligning uh, it's actually really a, a business strategy that does not embed AI is not, a, you know, say a fit for purpose. Yeah. Oh. So it's kind of a really evolution because many of these chief roles are not really on the exco, maybe uh, yes. uh, truly direct reports of the CEO, but increasingly I believe there is a need for um, uh, that kind of exco role, which actually I'm calling now more of a chief transformation officer who can bring together all these things, technology, operations, people, process, data, and AI. And as I've said, it kind of needs to be a strong on the data and AI because I think that is the, as they call it, the one ring to rule them all. But you need to bring all of them together to, to drive change. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm sort of listening to what you're saying and what I'm taking from it, correct me if I'm wrong, effectively, all these sort of new C-suites, they're kind of many heads on one body. 
Um, you you could say that. I mean, because you'd say, well, are they? Are they um, I think I've been looking at this kind of evolution and it's kind of, you know, you'd say you had IT managers evolving into chief information yes. officers. Um, um, they are people who use technology to drive change. But um, what my research will tell you is that um, um, I use a theory called... Um, resource-based theory to understand what what drives sustained and sustainable competitive advantage and that talks about four attributes valuable rare inimitable and organizationally embedded mm -hmm. and when you look at um rare and inimitable i.e is immutable is, is, is it easy to copy well technology politely is not rare or difficult or difficult to copy it's mm -hmm. so you, it's kind of the table stakes uh, and this is, but it's I mean, the classical thing is what you do with it uh, is really important. And so uh, where a lot of organizations have fallen down with all these things on technology, is they think uh, partly driven by finance, that the technology asset, once you've implemented it, that's the end of the journey. Whereas actually it's just the beginning of the journey. Mm, mm, mm. And so we actually need people who can really focus on the exploitation of the asset. Um, mm -hmm. And data is one of the key things for exploiting the asset. And building data initially was machine learning, which was the really the genesis of the current, uh, you'd say, rage of AI um, technologies in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, that's driving that change. But then you need to take people on the journey. You need to be able to show what I call people the art of the possible and the art of the probable. Where can they be in three years? The art of the possible. But bring that back to where can they be in three months? The art of the probable. Mm -hmm. And bring that into what's in it for me? Because I think all these things require transformation. And while we talk about many reasons why transformations fail, the biggest one, in my opinion, is because most businesses are really operated on a day-to-day -day basis by the C minus one level people, but the mm -hmm. people went below the exco. And if they don't see a what's in it for me, they will quite happily carry on saying, well, I'm delivering my KPI. So uh, mm, you know, yeah, you're not yeah. going to fire me, are you? Yeah. So uh, you it's have not to my have, problem, Gov. So this change, exactly, it's not my problem. So you have to take them on the journey, visualize it, bring it to life. And that's why I say it is a, it is a bit of a many-headed beast, but you need that person who is a leader who can bring these things to life. Who leverages the technology, uh, and the people who can deploy the technology, build the technology, whether that's AI or any others, yeah, mm -hmm. would mm -hmm. fall in underneath them. So you need that kind of transformational leader um, that can make it happen. Thanks for that. Um, let, let me take you you on a journey. You probably won't remember this from two years ago, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask it because it, it's been said in recent times now, the data leaders, the C suites, are the sort of the new CFOs. And what I mean by that is that they have the right hand of the CEO. And I want to know how true is that and why? Because when we spoke last time about two years ago, that wasn't really true then. So how true is it now? I think it's for me, it's a desire. Uh, I, I think I've talked about it as you can tell your data leader as the right hand. But as, as it actually come into, into practice, very little to be honest mm. i think if you look at i mean in many organizations you know the power of the cfo is defined by the fact that they are the single source of truth of the the numbers and you say of the numbers of the business and yet the reality is the numbers of the business is just one use case or a set one set of use cases for mm. for a data leader you know you actually have all these other use cases and um and i think it's the, the, it's not necessarily a, a shortage of desire. It's basically a shortage of that. The things we just talked about, the leadership capabilities to bring it to life, 
which mm -hmm. means, you know, uh, politely, a CEO doesn't want another techie as, as their right-hand person. They want somebody they can trust who speaks their language. Um, and then, um, and so I think that's where a lot of data leaders fall down. I mean, you and I have been through, seen this movie a few times, whether it was e-commerce in the 90s and then mm -hmm. and, and other things through, through. People progressed very, very rapidly through an organization, got six-figure salaries because they were really uh, very, very good at coding, developing, in this case, developing data science models or data governance mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. But they're missing the kind of leadership skills which yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, the are expected, everybody is expected to have in the C-suite. And without those skills, um, and and it's it's a real problem, and particularly for the data leader, because your success is as much based on being, I would call it a servant leader, yes. because you have to serve your own people, but every stakeholder in the business, it's you are not, you do not drive an awful lot of value through data alone. It's always data plus uh, a process like marketing, finance, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. operations, supply chain, um, or actually some combination of those, which then gives a multiplier, which delivers value. So you are dependent on the rest of the business. And that's where I think um, a lot of people have fallen down. Otherwise, because if you just provide insight, then you're providing insight to other people who belong yeah. in the boardroom. Yeah. And that's, I think, where the majority of data leaders have ended up, you know, providing insight to other people yeah. who are actually... Yeah. Yeah really in the that's, in the, in the... That, that's really interesting because while you know what we're talking about um data leaders um are developing rapidly and the names are changing depending on how the technology is developing and changing and they're moving with the times there's also this element of it which is sort of a sort of a, a top level element where it's you have to have a certain personality you have to have a certain leadership style you have to have certain management capabilities in order to make that move from being the most senior tech to a CEO. That's what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah, and I think uh, I've kind of uh, articulated as kind of really the, the the evolution of the data leader could be this chief transformation officer or what I've also called the chief operations officer. As I said, the banks have this role of chief operations officer, COO, which typically is an ex-IT leader yes. who brings together operations, process, and tech, where... Now the data leader needs to know all those things plus data and AI. So they kind of, um, but do they actually have the leadership skills to carry it yeah. off, or do and they just? Become, they need that, yeah. And I but, think that's 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 the uh, you said the opportunity, but also the challenge. Because what I see now is still huge demands for for a lot of the kind of technical skills, but the people, as I said, it's really the exploitation of the technology, and that's yeah. where. Things where it fall down. It's the classic things why CEOs are dis disappointed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and uh, you know they, they revert back to to type and saying, "Well, maybe this this mm. is just another boom. Mm. We just need to keep these people in their place." And, and but <laughs> yeah, but but you know, on the other side of the coin, because I've spoken to quite a few chief technology officers and CEOs, and they talked about this is for, for specific industry, specific industry sets. They sort of mentioned that it was better to be a chief technology officer prior to be in a CEO for that particular organization because of it's a technology driven organization and therefore they needed that rather than someone that was just I don't know a CFO so that's the other side of the point in, in that sort of sense when I when I've talked when I've spoken to um C-suite yeah and, I, and yeah. I think I think that's that's true Elaine and I think in future people will see that uh, actually they needed a chief data and analytics type officer to and I would, I would basically say, you know, people would say, where is the CDO in Amazon? Well, I think yes. really the person who drove that strategy 
was Jeff Bezos. And it's, uh, it's quite well documented, but, you know, uh, after their first iteration of success, when they sat down post-2000 to say, where do they go next? He wrote on the back of a napkin, he brought together a good to get great fl capability flywheel, said their hedgehog would be marketing, and then basically articulated, we're going to use data analytics and ultimately AI mm -hmm. to spin our flywheel better, faster than any of our competitors, deliver services and solutions to our customers better, cheaper, more available than anybody mm -hmm. else. And mm -hmm. that's basically largely been their strategy for the last 20 years. Yeah, and it's worked, and it's working. <laughs> so there you yeah. go. And okay. it's a question: Is can other can others can others yes. uh, uh, follow <laughs> in, in that footsteps? So. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, you know everything is data now. Even with AI, we've just talked about that. Um, you have said because you know part of my search, I sort of nose through some of the things you've said, and and one or two of your quotes that sort of I pull out. You you said training a great AI required great data. I don't know why that stuck out, but I just thought that's interesting. I want him to talk more about that. So how are the data chiefs using the recent developments in AI, generative AI for business productivity? You know, we talked about how this has changed their roles. Let's look at productivity, you know, real world use. What do you say, Eddie? Yeah, so I think um, this is a, always a question of how much are the data leaders doing it versus other technology uh, leaders. Mm -hmm. But I, I think um, the reality is uh, much of AI is is powered by data. Not not all of it, although actually the way it operates is still powered by data. Just as an adjunct, if you look at some of the deep learning models like Google DeepMind has, mm -hmm. their models that they started with the Go model alpha uh, and then gone to chess, basically were trained on the rules of the game. They weren't trained on historical data. Uh, and then it then it played itself, you know, millions of times over the next twenty four hours, and then uh, within twenty four hours in Go, but then in, and then on chess, it was able to beat the best quotes, traditional data trained machine learning models because knowing the rules, but not historically, it wasn't bounded by how humans had played the game, uh, and that's where some of these things are. But uh, in reality, for most applications, you need good data, and actually. Um, the the better the data, the the better the solution. Although I would say increasingly you can use algorithms to adjust for bias because, yeah. and that's what you think that uh, when you think about these so-called large language models that generative generative AI like ChatGPT and Google Bard, they are biased by design because they've been largely trained on North American data sets, which you'd yeah. say are you'd say politely you'd say white Anglo-Saxon um, and. Mm -hmm. uh, you could say straight men um, and, and all sorts of things, but you have to adjust for those biases. And, and but, but if you can train the data and understand where the biases are, you can actually accommodate from that. Because let's be clear, we've, we've all been using Google for 25 years to search and, and, and Google doesn't have great data to work with, but it gives us pretty reasonable answers. So there's a, there's a spectrum, you know, in terms of uh, you need perfect, you need near perfect data if you are mm -hmm. dealing in day-to-day -day financial transactions mm -hmm. around uh, capital markets. But um, with a lot of applications, you, you could say your data needs to be good enough. You can always improve it, and it's always worth improving it. But um, uh, it doesn't need to be perfect. And those people who worry, try to get make their data perfect, waste an awful lot of money and time for their businesses. Mm -hmm. So when you come back to practical realities, I think people are training. You'd say. When I look at it, the, the, we're starting to see things like the the end of people like to deal with people. So uh, there's been quite a few pilots by 
people like Octopus Energy in the UK, uh, Regina Maria, who's a, a healthcare business in in, um, in Romania and, and others, where actually the, the generative AI delivers significantly better net promoter score than, than any human-based uh, call center or contact center. There are times where you want to need to hand off to a human. So in the case of Regina Maria, you at some point you want to hand off to a medical practitioner, but the non-medical practitioners, frankly, can be largely eliminated from the process. Uh, and uh, so um, that's where your your data suddenly finds that you actually you know, something that can take the sum of all your data, which is the sum of all your knowledge, is mm -hmm. is better than any individual human being. And so you look at that kind of uh, and so call centers, I think, are going to be transformed quite rapidly. Mm. where there will be effectively, I would say, almost like a 90% reduction in human uh, call center operators in the next five years or so, because yeah, they, they, if you've got good data, then then it's going to get a better result. And that's what people want. If you can get a better result to your customers and it's cheaper, fantastic. Um, mm. I think um, we see it in a lot of knowledge applications. I think I, I bring it into the... Uh, world of uh, consulting, which is back in my day when I was a consulting partner, the classic message from a client was, I'm not paying for your time, am I? Because um, your time is built into the, the the rates I'm paying for your people. Mm -hmm. Now, as a client, I'm looking at it thinking, um, right, I'll pay for the opinions of that partner or director. But why am I paying for a whole team uh, of junior mm. consultants? I'll pay for one or two of them, but surely they've got their co-pilots. And actually, you'll see that I, as an individual contributor, I can do the work of three people now because I don't need, I, I can get all the research. Yes, I need to check it. Yes, it's not always yeah. perfect, but actually it never was, was it? It's kind of, so um, <laughs> the, uh, So you can start to see in those knowledge-based applications, uh, a lot of opportunities. And as we've come back full circle to coding, I mm -hmm. think one of the challenges is, as I look at it today, it's uh, for the first time in my life, I would not be starting to think about, would you consider a career in in, in IT or could you say development, whether that's data science or others, because a lot of junior development work can now be done by generative AI models. You, We can all go into chat GPT. And in fact, doing my doctorate, it's 20 years since I actually wrote data science myself, but I'm having to build some models, right? I can ask chat, chat GPT that, mm. whereas in the past I would have had, I have to ask, people in my team to build the model i can mm. use chat gpt to create me the code uh, and then and then i can actually put that into um r or python or mm -hmm. uh, to mm -hmm. actually help me do those models and so yes you still actually benefit from the senior expert the enterprise architect who can again quali mm. qualify check review amend and add value to other things but a lot of the basic tasks you know, that junior people would have done uh, can be automated quite rapidly so you're seeing those things now and you say microsoft have been in the some of the vanguard of this they had github which was mm -hmm, in, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this and then now they they start to launch and test those kind of co-pilot capabilities leveraging gpt technology through mm -hmm. the office suite and it will be available to all of us you know you will be able to automatically transcribe this uh this uh, conversation and then obviously and automatically turn it into a, both a word document or and we can create you a, a summary powerpoint yeah th mm -hmm. these are these are things that are actually going to be in 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 people's hands in the next few months so that's a uh, step changes in terms mm -hmm. of productivity i just like to say do not be disheartened um 
budding junior developers, because we are going to talk about um, future roles, um, why AI sort of takes away from one end, it, there will be new roles developed later on, and we'll talk with, with, with Eddie about that. And also going back to your original quote, when you said training a great AI required great data. It's like that thing I think we've always had like 30 years ago, the garbage in, garbage out statement, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think, yeah, I, as I said, I I would always recommend improving your data. Um, but I think, as I said, people have fallen down on trying to get to perfection, um, which is almost almost impossible to achieve. So yeah, good from good to great is uh, is you could say is is, uh, yeah. is an important message, and then you can fill the gaps in again using AI models to mm -hmm. to, to 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 make to, it great. Yeah. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Right um, now with the, with the next set of questions, um, we will focus on cloud cloud solutions and and operations. And um, we talked about the impact of a, um, generative AI and AI in in general on roles and productivity let's focus on its impact on cloud computing um eddie what what is sort of the overall impact what do you say the overall impact of generative ai on its um its operations computing and management and and how has it if at all truly enhanced operations and data management if you've got well, it's, it's kind of two two sides of the coin here elaine i mean i think on one side i think there was uh been some papers that were quoted this only this week would say that uh Generative AI is rapidly becoming the number one um, uh, usage of data center capacity, and uh, current rates of progress by 2027 might be using the same capacity and, in fact, the same electric electrical uh, electricity as the whole of the, mm -hmm. the Netherlands. So it's kind of a uh, it, it is a almost like by de by design it's cloud based. Green. <laughs> uh, it, and and actually to that point, large language models themselves, you'd say. The original, the GPTs are brute force. Whether yeah. and actually, what we're seeing though is, is the next generation, actually pioneered initially by Meta and Facebook, of uh, you say medium-sized large language, and they call them Llama, uh, medium-sized large language models, which can be more tuned again, and which will link back to corporate ones where you can train it on your own data. So, I think um, they will be massive users of cloud-based computing. I think on the other side of it, I think. Um, Come back to what we talked about customer service i think it will also be generative ai will be significantly streamlining the operations of cloud-based uh, providers because um, it, it can do much mm. of the work that uh uh you'd say a human operator human workforce can do and do it more efficiently yeah it, it can't yet uh train change uh, uh, racks in a in a data center but that's not that far away you can because you can see with with a lot of technology how that could be automated mm -hmm. um, but um it will be uh, uh important in terms of making them more efficient and i think um, what's going to be i think important about this i think we've highlighted i think next generation cloud which is kind of the eu's concept um which is making sure you actually have the security and trust which i think is going to be ever more important in this world mm -hmm. because we already hear about deep fakes and um uh, yes yes actually you see human avatars which are better better than reality um uh so trust and in, in both the data that you've been used to train the train this and and the the sourcing of it so it's ethical mm -hmm. uh and um the um uh, both ethical, well sourced, and trusted is is vital because 
yeah, frankly, a lot of existing current large language models, you'd say it's dubious based on the intellectual property <laughs> of, of some of the things they've been trained on. You're already starting to see sort of lawsuits on that. So having the trust and the security is going to be critical for these cloud environments in the, in the generative AI world. Okay, that's good. Uh, you've touched upon it. So I want you to, you know, tell my listeners, what is your understanding of next generation cloud? Well, I think if I looked at it right now, um, you have three main cloud providers. You've got Amazon and Microsoft who basically dominate the market with the Google kind of medium level third. And then you've got a variety of traditional kind of data center providers. Um, the, the reality is a lot of the success of cloud has been driven by, you'd say, a North American free spirit, um, free rolling. We we've got infrastructure. We can provide it model. Whereas uh, we do need this an environment for trust. And as, as I've touched on it already, uh, I think the EU defined what in twenty twenty its kind of requirements for kind of trusted environment with which is secure. It meets uh, general data protection requirements. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of how it handles data, you can source data, you can get the lineage of it. Um, uh, and I think people will increasingly want that in terms of, of um, that uh, scalable mm -hmm. but trusted environment. And that's that's my understanding of what a next generation cloud will be. It basically mm -hmm. gives you um, the benefits, you'd say, of your of, of on-premise, but truly in a, in a cloud-based mm -hmm. environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... Mm -hmm. Okay, that's good. And, you know, going back to your your real areas of expertise, data analytics, what's the impact of next generation cloud have on data analytics capabilities and how can organisations and leaders leverage it for sort of better insights and decision making? Um, I think, um, I think sometimes we um, overestimate the impact of cloud. Cloud itself is an infrastructure and I think <laughs> kind of Going back to my journey on this, you'd think we fifty years ago, forty years ago, when I uh, when I was doing computing at school, we actually used cloud because we actually had um, time sharing data centers where we actually yeah. <laughs> uh, we, in our local authority or our local city <laughs> government, and that's actually what what cloud is. People original could, cloud, <laughs> original cloud. People put lots of great things about its scalability, flexibility, <laughs> and actually. The reality is it it's, uh, offers a lot more in terms of than running yourself. And I think when, when we look at um, generative AI workloads that I mentioned earlier in terms of the, the, the amount of electricity, I think um, the ability to ramp up and ramp down, but do that in a, in a very secure, trusted way mm -hmm. is going to be absolutely critical because uh, yeah, Current cloud is not as cheap as people would have you believe. You mm. can rack up very significant amounts of expense because of, and if, uh, you know, again, it comes down to, again, good governance over what you're doing, but the scalability, flexibility, and the trusted element will be will be critical as we start to use more and more uh, generative AI workloads and, mm -hmm. because we want to know uh, trusted sources of data. We won't be able to bring them together all of our purely on ourselves. We want to be able to rely on the vendors to actually bring us a kind of, you'd say, menu of capabilities that we can tap into in the way that they've already 
given us infrastructure, we want to actually tap into other data sources mm -hmm. and partnerships with other providers, whether that's banks, retailers, so that um, we can have access to that uh, to augment and, and, and build ourselves. So it's kind of, I think that that's uh, what the next generation cloud will be, but it's really, again, down to, down to organizations and building the capabilities as ever the technology it, it provides mm -hmm. the table stakes mm -hmm. it's what you do with it that's uh, which is critical all right okay it's interesting because uh, correct me if i'm wrong i'm sort of getting in, in the way you've described it it sort of reminds me a little bit of you know the wizard of oz where you know the great wizard and we see you know the next generation cloud this is what's going to be when we pull the curtains well actually this is what it is uh, am i right in getting that feeling yeah i mean i think it's kind of I think we 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 do need to partly rethink how we're doing these things. I mean, again, looking on the sustainability thing, mm -hmm. um, with with generative AI, we are dependent increasingly on you'd say uh, graphic processing units, GPUs. Yeah, that came out of gaming, dominated by Nvidia. Mm -hmm. um, they are they've cornered the market around um, generative AI workloads, but. Typically, uh, as as I was got the quote, I think from a, a BBC article, which was basically, your typical corporate environment will use about four kilowatts. Your typical mm. GPT uh, large language model is going to be using twenty times that. Uh, it's massive amounts of heating, massive amount of electricity. So it's we can we need to think more less less against the brute force, which has been kind of what we've been using now. It's kind of like. I can get access to untold amounts of capability and mm -hmm. actually think about it more in a sustainable way. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. um, and when you think about it, if you everybody's got sustainability targets and you've got ESG targets and carbon footprint targets, you need to be smart in how you are using this technology. And uh, because for most businesses that I would call service businesses, your technology costs are a great, you know, a, 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 alongside your people, are your two biggest costs. So being more efficient and effective and rather than just thinking about it's it's infinite capacity on tap mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. is is both a source of opportunity to uh, be more sustainable, but actually drive you know, sustained performance. So I think that's being more combining the two. You, and again, you can use data and at least an AI to square the circle to make you that sustained performance and sustainable performance. So mm -hmm. that for me is key. All right. Okay. Let's go back to a point I mentioned earlier, which is when you know you talked about the sort of um, the roles, and now AI will make one or two um, roles obsolete. Let's look at the sort of the future roles that you you perhaps all envisage AI and machine learning, etc., will play in next generation cloud. Um, what is the sort of the truly transformational? That's the word of the day, transformational. What is the truly transformational aspect of it all? Would you say? Well, I think. The, the truly, as I come back to what we've done in the last uh, many iterations of IT, we talked about alignment of whether it's information, technology, data, analytics, strategy to business strategy. What's truly transformational now is that um, you are thinking about completely um, disrupting your operating model. And e-commerce did that to an extent in the late 90s because we brought in new channels and um, 
which uh, and that meant that startup companies uh, were, were were massively more successful at exploiting those new channels, whether they're retailing or otherwise, than the, the incumbent leading retailers uh, or banks. But uh, actually, once everybody had an e-commerce strategy, they went back to basically we need to be alignment of business strategy. Whereas I think now with AI, we are thinking about truly being able to dynamically reconfigure our business. Um, mm -hmm. And that requires a different kind of business strategy. You can't just have a, let's have an AI strategy or some AI team in the corner. We have to have data mm -hmm. and AI basically core to the DNA of our business. Mm -hmm. um, and I think without your without a, an AI strategy, you don't have a business strategy. I think that that's so. It's kind of that's where we're that's, that that for me is the is the truly disruptive thing, and and that requires you to operate differently. And I think I characterize companies as being led by two types of people, operators and transformers. And 90% of companies are led by operators, people who have been phenomenally successful at doing incremental change, incremental improvements, year on year, um, in different parts of the, their organization. Um, uh, but they you see time and time again transformations change because these people then have to get outside their comfort zone uh, they're not they're not great at visualizing the change they're not quite great at understanding the impact on people or seeing the art of the possible if others show it to them then they can get there but they're kind of um but transformers which are people uh, the people you need are are typically not so you could say successful in a corporate environment because they require significant change uh, and if, once you've done it once you you want to do it again and that means you definitely uh, mm -hmm. you need to go somewhere else whereas most corporate structures have been based on developing growing and maintaining a, a sort of cadre of people or a, a culture so uh, you don't necessarily grow your own transformers um and so the the people the, the as you will see the CEOs who've been great at transforming businesses they're as scarce as entities but they they make yeah, they earn nearly as much money as the uh, billionaire mm -hmm. entrepreneurs because they can command whatever they want in terms of equity and shares mm -hmm. so um, what I see is you companies will need more of these people who are transformers and and I think we come full circle back to they they will have to have a deep understanding of data AI process technology. It's basically, but they also need the leadership skills to make that happen because you you have to bring this to life for everybody in your business, and that's that's that, that's the really hard part. Uh, you know, you've got to take people on a journey mm -hmm. where it, with any transformation, some of the people are going to end up in a much better position, and others will, will won't. Um, and we 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 have to start then envisaging what are those roles and and although um, we can see that AI is very creative, you can do creative things like you can write music. It doesn't do, I would call it the um, human leaps um, of of creativity or human leaps of invention. So I think we as humans are going to have to um, uh, rethink what it is that we enjoy doing. I think human creativity and human in ingenuity. Will still be um, will 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 generate lots of of new careers and lots mm -hmm. of new jobs as as every other but like every other I would say industrial revolution, it takes time for those new careers and new roles to be generated. Um, uh, there will be more caring careers, I think, because it's kind of like. Um, and I'll give you a, a, an example. Uh, as, as we think about medical, right? 
personally, as uh, somebody who lives in the UK, I see the general practitioner doctor as a redundant proposition as of today, mm. because but actually you wouldn't think you would nobody would say that they are redundant. But in practice, it's very difficult to actually get to see one of these people. When you do see them, they're actually probably using their own diagnostic things to do uh, and actually often better meeting a, a nurse practitioner augmented by an AI because they will give you the compassion and, and, and you say TLC that most of us are looking for. Um, and so you can start to see that uh, this kind of more compassionate human skills are going to be, as they say, they'll be probably rise of more, more powerful uh, and more nursing type roles as we've got an older population. They're going to be more caring type roles. They'll be more creative mm. type roles. But we do need to think that many of the so-called, you know, we are now in the truly white collar industrial revolution. And many of the jobs that uh, make, we don't, we don't all wear white collars anymore, but a lot of accounting, legal and other jobs, which have been premium level jobs for decades may well disappear. And they will be, yeah, as I say, it will take time for those new careers to emerge. And that's going to cause, I think, a lot of dislocation Whilst we have a shortage of workers in many economies at the moment, I would think by the late 2020s, we're going to have a, a surplus of workers. And that mm -hmm. will be a challenge for governments because often a lot of those workers are the ones who generated most of the tax revenues that paid for the paid for the services for everybody else. So it will be, I think it's going to be quite, whilst I'm hugely optimistic about the future, I do have concerns that, that we, are, we are going to, yeah, society is going to go through a transformation as much as as, as companies so that that's actually fascinating really truly fascinating and it, even just as a side we talked about this um around the covid period because yeah. while sitting there comfortably saying we're working at home and most color when white collar workers or well, we were very portable we can work at home why would corporations pay X amount of money for you sitting in New York working at home when they can pay someone in India a tenth of the the fraction of the price in, and to do the same job? So while you're sitting there comfortably thinking, yes, I'm portable, there is there is a downside to that that's coming. Yeah, and and you, when you talked about the white collar revolution, I, I think some of that was the conversation we have in that time. I know we've sidetracked a little bit, but when you when you mentioned that, that that's some of the things I was thinking about, and this is something interesting to come. And you said you're optimistic, but at the same time, you must be a little bit wary. Yeah, no, absolutely. As I said, I think that my glass is half full, but I think, um, I as I said, I think um, the reality is, depending on which surveys you read, everybody recognizes that there will be millions of jobs lost. And it could be tens mm. of millions. Now, the question is, will um, I think people are starting to see that, you know, whilst we managed successfully through COVID, as we brought in new workers and they've been changing structures, uh, it, it starts to fade unless you actually have at least hybrid working because there is a huge amount of opportunity and training and learning and uh, you'd say um, team building that happens much better and more efficiently face-to-face -face. Um, and then you know once you've established that I mean even in my own role I kind of I work with a variety of companies I typically would go and meet them for a couple of days and then I'm working with them periodically through Teams yep. and Zoom yep. and then I might visit them for a couple of days in a, a few weeks time but you know that face-to-face that -face time is critical in building trust again that kind of so the um but um the and as a as an as a as a as a now a gray-haired worker 
I am very confident that in mm -hmm. this generative AI world, there is there is uh, more work for me than I can uh, imagine for the for the for the next ten or so fifteen years because people will be looking for people like us to be training, quality assuring um, uh, what's coming out of AI models. Mm -hmm. I do think, as you said, there's going to be uh, more challenges for a lot of other professions. And as I said, I'm not I'm no I'm no true futurologist in terms of what. What the new new professions will be, I think it's kind of, as I said, I think there will be more caring type professions. There's going to be more compassion. And I think, as I said, despite everything that you can see around things like uh, Mid Journey and Dolly and Stable Diffusion, that are highly creative. I still think there's going to be a lot of human creativity, even if you see what's happened in the uh, Hollywood writers and actors strike, where, where the reality is those people have been talking about AI for longer mm -hmm. than many of us, but now the reality is it's come to yeah. them, which is a, a lot of the content can be delivered by AI, yeah. and you only yeah. really need your star writers and your star actors. It was interesting, um, isn't it? Yeah. Um, because yeah, the reality is your what yeah. they used to in call Hollywood, their, it was um, sort of celebrated. I think twenty years ago, it's celebrated ten years ago. This is fantastic. This is what we can bring to the. And then when it's hitting the jobs, oops, okay. Yes, so I think it's kind of that. That is going to be challenging. Uh, uh, and uh, I, yeah, I, as I said, I, I, I have a glasses half full, but I don't yeah. underestimate it's, it's a wait the and see. Yeah. It's, it's a wait and see. Okay. Yeah. Um, have you got any final thoughts? You've talked about it briefly before. I think a couple of times you mentioned it. But have you got any final thoughts on real ethical considerations in this space? Yeah, I think there are there are quite a lot. I mean, I think we see, and this is. Um, the challenge that we face, we're trying to get um, trust uh, and what we've seen in, in the US, UK and some other countries is you, you, you can't trust your legislators anymore, which is a, is, a, is a big problem. If you can't trust your legislators, how are you going to mm. ensure that um, you actually have got the, the, um, the, right, um, the right ethics and the right governance and controls in place because the as we've as I've said I've already seen with large language models a, a, uh, a lot of intellectual property has politely been at least borrowed if not stolen um, mm. and um, I think um, we will see um, uh, more 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 concerns of that so I think you know um, my my challenge will be to see who 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 can we who who can be the trusted third parties in this in this world uh, that uh, who who uh, we can rely on to um, to give us a basis to uh, move forward. I think that's that is a challenge. I think the EU has been very strong on this. Yeah, as I said, I think others uh, are. Uh, have taken a much more polite, at least, and they said the polite version would be laissez-faire approach. Um, we're saying one thing, but actually doing a different one. So, um, and um, I think ethics, ethics are vital, but the reality with AI is the genie is out of the bottle. And um, whichever way you look at interesting actors, whether they be Chinese or uh, Russian, or for that matter, American, you will see uh, you know, people using this technology for nefarious means as well as for good. And so uh, we, the rest of us have to try and operate as, uh, as well as we can and try to set good examples. But we can see that there will be 
there are challenges out there. And as I said, we, we need to get to a point where we can trust, where we have some organisations that we can trust to be good arbiters in this space. Eddie mm. Short, once again, it was great to talk to you today. I'm sure we're going to have you again um, on Heads Talk sometime in the future. Perhaps once you finish your doctorate programme, we can have you back and to talk to us. I'd love that. Yeah, that'd be excellent. But but in the meantime, many thanks for your time and insight. Pleasure. Thanks, Elaine. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.